Hi, welcome to the Urban Lifestyle Report, and I'm your host, Carolyn Morris Walker. to this episode of My Legacy Project, Urban Lifestyle Report, and I'm your host, Carolyn Morris-Walker. It's a platform to exemplify Blacknificence and Black excellence in our community. And today, it's my pleasure to have Kofi Frempong as my guest. He is a very talented, beautiful visual artist and he is a community health worker. Thank you for being here today with me, Kofi. Thank you. Urban Lifestyle Report is a place and space to showcase the many talents of Black and African people who are often invisible, not acknowledged, not celebrated in popular media for their talents, achievements, accomplishments that contributes positively to the community at large. So I'm delighted when I meet people in my community who are doing amazing, outstanding work in so many areas. They are educators, creatives, influencers, game changers, entrepreneurs, innovators, artists who are igniting, building, and transforming our community in a variety of ways and in so many arenas. They are engaging in these activities full-time, part-time, as a side hustle, and making their passion and vision come to life. And I believe the community needs to hear about you, Kofi. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Excellent. So the first time that I met you, I remember it so well. I had gone to the Afro Chic TO event at the Design Exchange Building downtown, mm. and you were the artist there. And to date, that event was everything for me. It was so beautiful, everything about it. It was top-notch, premiumly executed, and to be in a room with so much melanin magic, mm. I was intoxicated. And then you were doing the live painting while you were there. Refresh my memory. Uh, I was exhibiting as well as do, uh, facilitating a live painting, um, like live body painting, as well as canvas painting. It was beautiful. Thank and you. then... A few months later, I went to Afrofest and I bucked you up again. And you were exhibiting more of your artwork there. And I fell in love head over heels for your work immediately. Thank you. I am just in awe. And I am very pleased to say that I own two pieces of your work that are in my home. Um, one is called Rain. Yep. And that was the first piece I purchased 
And the second piece is the serenity piece. Correct. Yeah. And there is a story behind that because I'd gone to the soul community event and the serenity piece was the door prize. This is again, a beautiful experience for me. So they pull the name out of the hat and they say this person's name and the person isn't there. And so they go back and they pull the name out again. And it was me. (laughs) It was meant to be. (laughs) It sure was. And you signed it there for me. So I love your artwork, Kofi. You know that. I'm a big fan of yours. And I read that you had started drawing at a very young age, around five. Tell us about your journey and how you came about to being the fabulous visual artist that you are? Um, well, it was really my dad that sparked the interest. Um, we were in a hotel room in in France, and I just noticed that he was like sketching, doodling. And I was just so fascinated by what he was drawing, but more importantly, like his line work. I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was magic. So from there, my mission was to try to draw like him. I obviously couldn't. So then um, just the way I think, it's like I got to learn by any means necessary. So then I started to trace, not fully understanding that I was building muscle memory. By tracing, it was helping me with my shapes. And it was just just training my mind to to become a a stronger drawer. Mm -hmm. How old were you? uh, What age were you about when all of this was taking place? I was five. Wow. Yeah. I actually um, met my parents when I was four. Um, Okay. Yeah, because I was born in Ghana. They left me in the care of my extended family, and they went to travel, I'm pretty sure, in hopes of settling abroad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, So when I was four, they sent for me, and we lived in France for about a year, then moved to Montreal, and then finally settled in, in Toronto. Okay. That's excellent. Did you draw when you were in school? Like, what was your experience with that? Like, were you supported uh, in your art while you were going to school or encouraged to do art while you were in school? By the time I I got to high school, like, I I was known for being a really good artist. For my parents, they didn't quite catch on yet. It's like, yeah, you're good, but, you know, focus on your studies, uh, do well in school. They didn't really see art as a future. Mind you, they didn't try to force me in a specific direction. It's just art wasn't an option. So because everybody recognized me as being a really good artist, it came with a lot of pressure. And that pressure had me stick to what I was good at, which was drawing. And knowing that I wasn't as good at painting, I just stayed away from it to the point where I almost failed out of art class. (laughs) The anxiety was so real. And I took that with me to college where I did a design foundations, got touched with academic probation. I switched schools, did um, art fundamentals, again, uh, academic probation. Uh, they had a talk with me. They told me I should explore. I should, I should do some soul searching and explore a different career path because clearly art wasn't for me. Wow. Yeah, it it was crazy. And it was all because uh, I would skip all my painting assignments 
And for some reason, that was the bulk of our, our marks at every level. Yeah. So it wasn't until like years later, I ended up taking maybe like six or seven years away from art. In the meantime, I was in my other passion, which was community work. And I created a community event called Freedom Fridays. And for me, to engage community artists, I would always have this encouraging talk with them. Say, hey, don't be afraid to get outside of your comfort zone. <laughs> you can only grow by, by jumping into the fire. And then one day I just sat back and like hit me. It hit me. I was like, you know, maybe I should follow my own advice. <laughs> so I decided to have my first painting in front of a crowd of over 500 people. And yeah, and I feel like I tell this story a lot, but the first 10 minutes, it was super, it was so scary. And then it just clicked though. Like I did a lot of self-talking in that moment. And I just came to the conclusion that all I could do is enjoy the moment. Nothing else matters. I don't need to create a masterpiece. I don't need to impress anybody. I just literally need to enjoy the moment, enjoy every stroke, the color combinations. And at the very least, I'm going to leave out feeling really good about creating. And what a great way to bring your two passions together, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Community and art. And I read it was about in 2012, but it was interesting that you would be saying step out of your comfort zone while mm -hmm. you were not doing it. And you just jumped in like feet first, 500 people. That That's a great thing because look what we have because yeah. of that. Yeah. Right. And I loved also that the the connection to bringing young people into the community mm -hmm. so that they to these events so they could see this artwork. And I was watching like a YouTube video and I could see some of the young people performing. So they yeah. were also engaged with that. That's so brilliant, Kofi, because, you know, our youth need that. They need to see us and they need these spaces and places where they can express themselves as well. So what is your media for your artwork? Right now, what I mainly work in is um, acrylic, a little bit of pastel, and paint markers. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to go back to Serenity for a minute. Sure. So last year, I renovated my home, and my home is colored. There are no grayish walls up in here, and <laughs> every room has its own color, oh, but... There is one main color, red. It is the connecting color throughout the entire spaces. And then the secondary color is purple, which is the other connecting color in the space. But when I renovated, I painted it. And I was like, how am I going to paint it? Anyway, now it's sky blue. The oh, whole wow. unit is sky blue. And then I have a few feature red wall and accessories. And then I pulled out the Serenity piece and it has every single color that is up in my house. Awesome. Awesome. And I haven't framed it yet. That's a conversation we have to have. But that is to me that central piece that pulls together all of the colors that happens in my home. And my home is very Afrocentric. I've got all kinds of, I'm actually running out of wall space, real estate <laughs> space. I don't even know what I'm going to do. But I, again, your artwork also reflective of black love, black women, black power. And I was thinking that you have your wife and you have your two beautiful 
daughters, yes. how do they influence your work in, in that creative process? Mm. For me, all my encounters with people end up showing up on my canvas. Whether I'm referencing a piece or if it's coming off the top of my head, there's some element of my interactions that, that show up on the canvas. So it could be the music that I'm listening to, could be a book, it could be a conversation, or even the faces around me. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, while my wife was pregnant, I found myself painting a few pregnancy pieces. It wasn't deliberate. It wasn't like a self, it wasn't a portrait or anything like that, but it just happened that way. And I just, you know, um, thought about the timing of it afterwards. And it's like, oh, okay, that's interesting how like all of this stuff is just ending up on the canvas without me even trying to make it happen that way. Well, I think that's a bit of being an empath as well, right? Mm-hmm. You're also absorbing her energy as she's going through the pregnancy, and so, and it's also coming through you in in the in the artwork that you're creating. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And your daughters are they artistic? Oh yeah, they create art every day, and it's not anything that I force them into or my wife forces them into. They just grew up with art in their space and they just gravitated towards it. My my 10-year-old, she's gotten into writing, storytelling, definitely drawing, painting when she when she gets an opportunity to, dancing, like every form of art she gravitates to. But when it comes to drawing, like that's the one thing that's consistent. Youngest was five, she the same thing, but she's more inclined to drawing and then arts and crafts, like cutting things out right after she draws and colors them. And it's just really beautiful to see them develop like a genuine passion for art without any pressure from, you know, myself or my wife for them to to be great artists. I also think the other piece around that is African parents, West Indian parents, <laughs> Black parents. We want us to do these traditional jobs. They want us to be the lawyer, the doctor, the dentist, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And in the past, really didn't see being artistic, being creative mm. as, a, as, as a career. You know, starving artist comes to mind, right? Oh, you can be a starving artist. I think for me, Parents need to support their children, whatever their vocation is. Yeah. You know, my son is a dancer. Oh, nice. My son travels all over the world. He has a, you know, a regular job to pay the bills as well. But he is a dancer. And I always encouraged him to dance. He's living my dream. Beautiful. I wanted to be a dancer. I look like I'm a dancer. I fake like I'm a dancer. (laughs) I thought you were going to say, I feel like, but fake, okay. (laughs) Okay. And so, you know, I'm going to take fake back. I am a dancer. I've gone to New York and taken classes at Alvin Ailey Studios. Oh, wow. I I used to take classes at George Randolph Studios here in Mm -hmm. Toronto. And I also danced with a troupe in Japan for the three years that I was there. That being said, I was the worst dancer oh. of those Japanese people. But you see all of this dark and lovely magic? <laughs> I got They just embraced me. And Kofi, I have to tell you, I was the worst dance. These Japanese dancers, they did things with their body that mine was like, I dare you. Wow. <laughs> 
<laughs> but you did it, though. You did it. Yeah. My son, I always encouraged him to dance. Mm. And a few years ago, wrote something on Instagram, Facebook about a performance because we go to a lot of dance performances as well. Mm. And uh, one of his friends wrote back, oh, it'd be really nice if you supported the dance that happens in Toronto. I was like, damn, fierce de bois. <laughs> so <laughs> I... <laughs> I wrote back and mm-hmm. and my son had actually performed with his friend's dance troupe and we went, I went, we yeah. supported it. And so he wrote something back and I said, where do you think Matthew gets his dance moves from? Right. His mama. Yep. <laughs> right. So I'm a strong believer. And even more so now, I think that we're living in a time where there's a greater respect for Mm -hmm. art and creativity Mm -hmm. and the acknowledgement that you can make a good living out of it. Absolutely. So something I read that you posted on Facebook, I actually saved it. Okay. And it said... I can't even deny it now. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, this is not verbatim, but Mm -hmm. it was about... Black men or Mm -hmm. men, Mm -hmm. do you cry? And if so, do you do it alone? Or are you able to express that in front of loved ones or people that support you? Mm -hmm. And I was very taken by that post and wanted to talk about what was that about? Where did that come from? Uh, The conversation about black men having the the ability to cry. Mm -hmm. And if so, is it done privately or or is this a shared experience? Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I love people. I love connecting with people, uh, listening to stories, sharing ideas. And because I love interacting with people in a genuine sense, it's I'm very committed to creating safe spaces for people to be themselves. So I find that through my interactions, people like really open up and I got and I get to see different perspectives that don't necessarily match, I guess, a mainstream understanding of different groups of people. Uh, so, for instance, men, black men are characterized as having basically two emotions <laughs> so, you know and and it, it but like there's so much more like they say we don't feel they say we don't care sometimes they say we don't think <laughs> <laughs> but through my just myself knowing myself um through my relationships with people i i just see people that are so brilliant so compassionate people that actually break down when things get hard. Black men like leaning on each other in spaces that they find are safe. So for me, I pose that question to allow people to share their experience so that whoever's reading it could say, okay, I thought this way about black men, but now here's evidence of, you know, the opposite. And I believe that that's what happened. Like a lot of black men came and express that they do cry. Some of them express that they don't cry publicly. Some of them explained how it is that they go about dealing with it. You know, it could be the pursuit of money. <laughs> it could be distracting themselves with a task uh, to cope. But bringing all that out, 
allows for a healthy discussion on how we can begin to heal as a community. I also think the current situation that's, well, it's not even current, right? It's been going on forever, but all of this violence against black men and black women Mm -hmm. uh, coupled with COVID, Mm -hmm. this is certainly a strain on our mental health. Mm -hmm. And I would think having a space where we can dialogue about these feelings that we're having is, is very important during these times because, you know, Chadwick Boseman just died. Yeah. And I feel a bit broken. Yeah. I feel like it's, I it. it, it's, it's something else now. Mm. And I was feeling, and I'm going to say this publicly, I took a month from work because all of what was going on with the heinous public continuous murder of our people, mm-hmm. I had to take time away from work. I just I couldn't cope. I, I just couldn't cope. And I felt the same way. And I told my colleagues at the time, I felt broken. Mm-hmm. And parents of black children, parents that have their black sons. And I know we live in Canada, Mm -hmm. but our fears are still the same. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and and we know that our sons, our black sons are going to go out there in the world and just be judged by these series of stereotypes without them even knowing who they are. And, you know, we have the talk. My son wasn't allowed to wear hoodies. He was not wearing no pants down to his ass. We weren't having none of that. Mm -hmm. Do not go into the store with your hands in your pocket. Yeah. And and my son is gentle. He's a good man, Mm -hmm. but he's tall. He's big. Mm -hmm. He's black. Mm -hmm. Threatening. Yeah. I'm really happy that, that you give this space and place for men to or and women i would suppose when you pose some of your other questions because today or yesterday you posed what i think i remember this it was do black people not support black businesses or they or do they just not support mine Mm. Or yours, yeah. Yeah, or yours, yeah. yeah. Or yeah. So, what was that about? Let us talk about that. Because again, I was, I, I paused. Yeah. So, a couple of things. Uh, one thing I think sometimes people they characterize a whole community based on their individual experience. So, because they feel that they're not getting support from certain people automatically the whole community community doesn't support. And that's what shapes their perception of the community. A lot of times I, I don't think it's fair. But then on the flip side, there, there are people in our community who don't support other Black folks. Um, there are people in our community who are very unforgiving with us. But when it comes to other communities, they're given the benefit of the doubt. They're giving excuses, second, third, fourth, fifth chances. You can walk into an Asian um, restaurant, get totally disrespected, and you'll be there every week consistently and take it. A Black person so much as, like, you know, breathes the wrong way in their business. And also, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this is why I don't support Black business. 
So I believe that both are actually true. There is a problem in our community where we don't support each other as much as we should. However, on the flip side, there's a lot of work being done to create spaces where we can support each other. Mm -hmm. There are black markets. There are a whole bunch of Facebook groups that are exclusively designed for us to support each other. There's individuals who are deliberately seeking out black businesses to support. So like these things are actually happening. And again, I pose that so that we can have that discussion and people can share their different perspectives. Like one one guy came out and he's like, the problem is like black people don't support other black people. And I, I kind of like, it was like, I wasn't even intending on arguing with him. It was just like, hey, you know, like there are black business. Sorry, what he said was um, the problem with black businesses is that our, our customer service sucks. And yes, that is a reality. It definitely yeah. is. We can all speak to that. But also, <laughs> there are other Black-owned businesses in our community that, in my opinion, provide the best customer service that you'll ever find. And not only the best customer service, but in terms of like healthy options for their products, I find that it's on a higher level because they're not being pushed by a corporation. Like These are like individuals who take special care in creating their product. But yeah, long story short, that's again, why I pose that question. I agree with you as well. You know, I um, make a conscious effort to spend my money with black people. Mm. I'm not nickel and diming any of my black people. Mm. Um, the price is the price is the price. I feel better knowing that my dollar is getting turned around in my community. And and, and I speak from a place of privilege as I say this, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's a Asian supermarket downstairs where I live. And when I first lived here, I I did go there. And I remember one Christmas, I bought all my goods, went to chop up some meat that I had bought. And the guy behind the counter was, you need to show you my receipt. You need to show me your receipt. I I said, I'm not showing you the receipt. I've got the goods in bags. They're bags. And I said, I'm not showing showing you the receipt because there's no way I've stolen this when I have the bags. And I said, you see a little Chinese sister in up at the front? Miss, tell this young man mm-hmm. to try chop up me me. I'm not showing you my receipt. That's when I really decided I'm done. I remember just viewing that dismal customer service at best. Mm-hmm. Nobody speaks English when you go in there. Mm -hmm. We spend all our money in there and then they want to disrespect us on top of it. And I was like, I'm done. And I stopped. No, I'm not lying. I might run down once in a while and buy a little plantain. Yeah, that makes sense. I am prepared to get in my car and drive Mm -hmm. to wherever I need to go. I think that we're getting better about understanding. And I also think it's generational, Kofi. I, agree. I feel like that the millennials have a better idea about doing business and customer service and what that involves than uh, my generation. Mm-hmm. Seriously, I feel like you got it on lock. You understand it. You know how to get it going. You yeah. Know? Yeah. 
So that's really an important piece. And as we're in this time where I think that this is a transformational time for Black power, Black renaissance, Mm -hmm. we also have the opportunity to use the technology where we can use our dollars globally. So I can buy something from a Black store in England or in Africa, or in a Black community in America, and just making sure that my money stays Black on Black on Black. Exactly. You know? Why do you think your artwork is important to the community? The feedback that I get from people, people tend to like really celebrate my successes. What I get is it gives them hope that it's possible for them to do it. So some people will ask me how old I was when I started painting because they know that I haven't been painting all my life. Realize that like I was in my early 30s. Yeah, early 30s. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. So it, it is possible like to start your art career so late. The fact that I'm literally creating and I don't have like real formal training in the art that I create it's literally based off emotion that gives people hope as well to say that I don't necessarily need to go to school to create art. It definitely helps, (laughs) but if you don't have the means, it doesn't mean that you stop. And also like the content, the colors, I find that a lot of people in our community identify with it. People tell me that they see themselves in my art and it's so freaky because A lot of times people will pick pieces and if it doesn't resemble them energetically, like I get it, like I can actually see them in the piece. And I always tell people like I don't do portraits anymore, but it's better that like when somebody picks a piece, it's almost like it's a portrait of them without it having to look like them. And then last, well, not last, but um, another thing is that it's just another contribution to the narratives. Like there's so many different narratives about black people, black families, black love that isn't told. And I know that I can't tell all of the narratives, but I can contribute what I've experienced and what I see to it. And it's more like, yeah, it's more like a, a community. So so long as there's more more of us contributing our perspective to the narrative, then I think it, it makes for what's the word I'm looking for? It's a lot more rich. <laughs> Yeah. I t- and I totally agree with that. And that's interesting because what's always very absent from popular media is that idea about Black family and Black love. You know, the stereotype that we all are children of single parents, single parent homes, and that's not to dismiss that. That is uh, a reality. But yeah. many of us grow up in double family homes. You never see that story. It's deemed as an oddity that you grow up with your mother and your father. And almost every guest I would say I've had on this podcast has grown up with their parents. Wow. Too. Yeah. Which dismisses that whole narrative, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good place in the space to have artists like you, Black people like you, giving that alternate point of view, that alternate narrative. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to go back to last year, Mm -hmm. 2019. I think it was called Throwback Thursdays at the AGO. 
and your work was featured. It was a beautiful event and your work was in a separate room. And I think it was last year. Um, wow. Yeah. My timeline is messed up. It was cold. That's mm-hmm. what I remember. And must have been during Black History Month. That's why. Uh, <laughs> and your work was featured in that beautiful space. Do you have recollection how that piece came together for you? I do. It was in December because I, I know that because like right after that, I went to Miami for the um, Art Basel, Miami. And I believe First Thursdays was a program of the AGO. So Afrochic did a complete takeover. I, I was asked to be one of the featured artists and they asked me to source out a couple of other artists who I thought would be good for it. So I did that. And that's how I ended up being featured at the AGO. I also remember seeing, I don't know who the artist was, but it was the Aretha Franklin piece. It was this massive piece with Aretha Franklin and she had on like the glasses and it was in one room by itself. It was the most beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. So that was either Melissa Faulkner or Reynold Thomas. Because okay. um, those were the other two artists that were featured. Just beautiful. And I just remember that event being intoxicated um, <laughs> by the melanin magic that was emanating throughout the space. And again, I say this about all the events, I guess. I have no biases, I guess. I hear you. It was beautiful. It was so beautiful. The music, the people, the art, the food all in this beautiful evening. So Mm -hmm. I I loved that. Now, are you connected to Sunday Social? Actually, I am. So how it happened is they reached out to me a couple years ago to do a live painting at their event. And for whatever reason, like it didn't initially work out. But one of the main, well, two of the main organizers I know, one of them went to church with my wife as kids. Well, they both did. But I got connected with uh, one of them and just his vibe. Like for me, I always extend myself to people who have genuine energy. And he was just like, just seeing him in the space at Sunday Social, it reminded me very much of how it is at Freedom Fridays. It's just community. If you don't know anybody there, like it just makes it really comfortable. Uh, There's a lot of music, art. So I approached them and I said, hey, I don't mind doing a live painting for you guys. And at first he turned it down because initially, now I remember why it didn't work out. They didn't have the budget to pay my live painting fees. So when I went back, he's like, no, I I won't accept any free work from you. (laughs) Like we, like he wanted to get into the habit of like paying people in his community. And then I was like, listen, man, it's also for me, I love being in spaces with so much like positive energy. It definitely feeds my artwork. And he's like, yeah, you know, and maybe somebody will buy your artwork. I was like, yo, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Just so long as I'm in the space and it feels good. So I went one time and then I went another time. Next thing I know, I was eight Sunday socials in (laughs) and I've been painting at Sunday social. Uh, since I might have missed like a few Sunday social sessions, but 
it really became one of the highlights of, of the month for me. And can you let the people who will be listening, what exactly is Sunday Social? What is it about? What does it encompass? Where does it take place? Give us a little details about that. Um, my perspective <laughs> is that it's a, a gathering for young Black folks to come together and literally celebrate each other. So key things that you'll see at Sunday Social, you'll see a live band. There's definitely food. They have a bar, which they always encourage people to support the bar. <laughs> if you ever go support the bar, I'm there. So, you know, you see live art happening. You will see groups of people just laughing, connecting, having a good time. You'll see a lot of dancing. Sometimes people use Sunday Social as a place to celebrate their birthdays. So they'll literally book a booth of 5, 10, 15 people. And they'll come in with their entourage and then everybody else who is there will celebrate with them. I guess I'll paint a picture for you. So you enter Sunday Social. At the door, you have people that are collecting money. If you come before, I believe, 9 o'clock, it's $15. If you come after, it's $20, the entry fee. You walk in and immediately you'll see a bar where they're serving drinks. Uh, there's also a kitchen in the back where they serve food. You walk in further, you'll see different booths. Sometimes people rent them out to celebrate their birthday where they bring their friends or not. But you're, you're going to see a bunch of people interacting with each other. You walk further ahead. At the front, you'll see a live band set up and there's a resident singer. I believe her name is Sasha Henry. And the band is called The Halftimers. Behind the band... Uh, depending on the venue, there'll be a stage. You look up at the stage, you'll see my easel set up, and you'll see me doing live art. How the program usually goes, it's, I believe, the first hour people are networking, talking, getting to meet each other, and then the event kicks off with the band and the resident singer welcoming everybody with music. From there, the host We'll engage the crowd in some get-to-know-each-other activities where you get prizes. So, like, to meet somebody new, to figure out what they do. From there, he'll give them the opportunity to come up on stage. So, like, if it's your first time coming to Sunday Social, you get the opportunity to talk about who you are, what you do, and where you're from. Oh, wow. The where you're from part usually gets a big reaction depending on where you're from. <laughs> So like if you're from Rexdale, Jada Finch, Brampton, and there happens to be a big crowd of, you know, people from your place, then you'll get like an eruption. After that, they'll do a birthday call. So if that particular month happens to be your birthday month, they'll get you to come up to the stage where the resident singer will sing happy birthday to you. Oh, um, nice. Amazing voice, by the way. <laughs> and then even through that, you'll get to introduce yourself. If you run a business, they will talk about your business and get people to support you. And it's it's amazing because like connections are literally made in that space. Uh, some people will say that they need a job and there might be a crowd that has information and then they'll connect. Or somebody might come up on stage and say, hey, I have an opportunity. And then it works that way. So what I like about spaces like that it brings resources to you so like you're not putting up flyers to say hey i'm advertising this 
you're in a space where you're having fun. And while you're having fun, it's like, boom, you feel lonely. You get connected with people. You want to get support for your business. Now, like you're face to face with people who visibly can see who you are and what your business is. Yeah. And then after all of that, (laughs) after the band plays one more time, the DJ now steps in and totally just fills the airways with music. So you're talking soca, hip-hop, reggae, 90s R&B, sometimes like down to the 70s and 80s. Like every single DJ that they bring in is amazing. And it, it shows because like the dance floor is usually packed and these people do not hold back. <laughs> yeah. And if you look on stage, you'll see me in my own world soaking in everything doing a live painting. That sounds awesome. Yeah, Sunday Social is an experience. (laughs) And where is it and when does it take place? Like, where is the location of this? Like, I I don't even know how I've not been to one. Sounds like my kind of party. I think you would love it. I don't remember the address, but it is in Scarborough. I'm actually going to look it up now. And then later on, I'll tell you before we conclude. And I'll even send you the information. Every last Sunday of the month during the pandemic, they were able to do it like online as well, which was also cool. I'm a Scarborough <laughs> person. I don't even know how I missed on this. I don't know. The, fa- the past few years, they've been around. Like, so downtown King Street, they've been in North York by uh, Downsview Station area. <laughs> they've been in different places, but they finally settled in Scarborough. That's awesome. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, Kofi. Yes. How do you find balance, husband, community worker, artist? How do you balance that all? Or is there balance at all? Or do we just go with it? And we just deal with it as it comes? Like, yeah, where do we find balance? First, before anything, like my wife is so supportive. We definitely make it a point to support each other in the things that we do. So if she wants to start a business venture or pursue something academically or professionally, like I'm always all in. It's usually not that we can't do it. It's how can we get it done? And then on her end, she gives me what I need to get things done. So if it's space, if it's her input, her professional or unofficial (laughs) professional input, her ideas, if it's us working together to figure out finances to, to support a specific project, that kind of teamwork, trust me, it just makes everything so much easier. Um, in terms of my community work and my art, I try to separate them, but the two blend into each other. So for instance, because I connect with so many different people through my art and I like to you know, have these genuine connections, People tell me their stories, and through hearing their stories, I am able to identify needs. And because I'm a community health worker and I have access to all this information, all these resources, and all these people, it's a matter of just making connections. So in terms of outreach, I've become well-known on the Facebook platform as myself, also well-known as an artist. And then finally, in the social sector, I've been doing this for over 14 years, So I'm well-known in different spaces, and I'm able to make connections and make all of them kind of blend together. You know I'm a big fan of yours, right? (laughs) Thank you. 
Thank you. You know, I got nothing but love for you. Thank and you. <laughs> you, you are black magnificence. You are black excellence. Yeah, thank you. Like, throughout all of this, my daughters, it's like, their main focus is like, I'm their dad. So I made a joke one day. I was like to my daughter, I was like, you know, one day I'm going to be famous and you're going to have to deal with it. And then she looked at me, she goes, dad, you are famous already. <laughs> but it's like, then I looked at her, I was like, if I'm famous, then why do you treat me the way you do? It's not, and it's not that she treats me bad. It's like, yo, I'm famous. So treat me like I'm famous. And like, none of that matters to her. It's like, you're my dad. I love you. And that's the only thing. So whether you're famous or nobody knows you, I love you. And the same thing with my, my younger daughters. That type of energy, it's, it, it definitely keeps you grounded. And it keeps like your vision on what's important. Like all this like superficial stuff, it doesn't matter because you know like the source of genuine, true love. Exactly. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because I have read and heard that celebrities and their children, the children are like, yeah, it's, it's, it's just mom. It's just dad. Well, yeah. everybody else is fanning out about who the celebrity may be. And for them, it's like, yeah, it's just my mom. Yeah. It's yeah. just my dad. It's no big deal. <laughs> I, that, that's really lovely. Logo design for CBC. Oh, I saw yes. that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. That's just recent. Yes. Uh, that was last month. Okay. Yeah. So two months ago, CBC, somebody from CBC reached out to me and they said that they asked me if I was interested in doing the local design for their monthly artist feature. They told me to think about it. If I wasn't ready for that month, it would be an on, like a longstanding offer. So whenever I was ready, I can basically do the logo. They discuss payment. They discuss you know, what the feature would look like, and then the parameters that I had to work with. For me, everything checked out. I'm a strong believer in, uh, I guess, setting my guidelines, my limits. And if it compromises any of that, no matter how big the opportunity, CBC or not, if it doesn't line up, I have no business in saying, unfortunately, I can't accept. In this case, everything lined up. (laughs) So I was like, I thank them for the opportunity. Um, And then they also told me where it came from. Amanda Paris, who's somebody that I used to work with back in the days in the community. She did a lot of like frontline work. She recommended me to be one of their featured artists. And she was the host at Afro Chic Mm -hmm. for Jendena presenting absolutely yeah she's a pretty awesome and that's a whole other story continue yeah, my friend. yeah. So. amanda that's a whole yeah amanda's amazing um, a force yeah so yeah she made that initial connection i think that's i've been featured on cbc a couple of other times but for this particular opportunity i believe that it, it came directly from her like she made the recommendation so i did it initially i had a different design I was um, debating between two designs, my power piece and then my Safi piece. I did two. I sent them, both of them. And the power piece didn't necessarily work out in terms of formatting. So that made that decision a lot easier. But initially, why I chose the Safi piece, it was representative of all the Black women that like have impacted my life. So I'm talking like 
complete strangers that I see on the street and I'm inspired by, to my mom, my wife, my daughter, my sister, close friends, teachers, <laughs> the list goes long, like long. So when I look at that piece, I see different looks. And as you know, like black women have a way of communicating without words through looks. If it's disappointment, if it's excitement, if they're proud of you, whatever that look is, like it's always rooted in love. <laughs> Even when they're disappointed, <laughs> it's rooted in love. So like to me, that's what that piece represents. Funny enough, out of all my originals that I exhibited uh, last year in my solo exhibit, it's the only one that hasn't sold. And I recently made the decision to take it off the market. So I won't be selling it. I will, like, I do have prints available for sale, limited edition, but I'm going to hang on to that original piece for a little bit. I might put it back a couple of years or so, but for now, I just want to hang on to it for a little bit longer. That's so beautiful, Kofi. Thank you. Words of encouragement, inspiration. Somebody's listening to this. They haven't decided what they want to be, how they're going to get there. Words of encouragement for them. What do you say to them, Kofi? <clears throat> Kofi. <laughs> Kofi. Yeah. Words of encouragement. There's a lot. There's a lot. Two, three one, things. Okay. So one of the biggest things I can say is fall in love with the process, whatever it is that you're doing. If you can fall in love with the process and enjoy the process, not to say that the process is always going to be easy, hard or not, enjoy the process and you will find that things will just like start to fall into place for you. For one thing, it's going to address the issue of wanting to quit. <laughs> you know, why would you want to quit if you're having fun doing something? Another thing is like really take inventory of who you are. I find that a lot of us, forget who we are. We hear voices in our head that uh, beckons us to, to forget. And it really messes with our heads. Like you will have all this experience under your belt. You'll have all these people skills, amazing ideas. But for some reason, you'll forget that and think that you're not enough or you're less than. Um, so if you can go back, find a space either in front of other people that you trust or by yourself and really do that self-talk and say, yo, like I'm actually really dope and this is what I'm good at and this is what I've accomplished and this is what I'm capable of. Because, you know, like you can't say that in front of everybody. Some people will think you're being too boastful. Um, Ego. And, yeah. And to me, those aren't like safe spaces. So if you can find a space where you can actually celebrate who you are <laughs> unapologetically, oh my goodness, that like that will charge you up. So yeah, definitely find that. And then the next thing I would say, always look to build genuine relationships or interactions with people. That is so key because like we're always we're all walking with stories and on the surface you might not see that. And because you won't see it, it acts as a roadblock. But by having interactions, you kind of eliminate those walls. And it's like, oh, my goodness, I'm being introduced to a brand new world. <laughs> yeah. And I guess the last thing that I would say is make a commitment to building safe spaces for people to um, spaces. And I say this all the time. I got it from a gentleman by the name of Kwasi Corfelli. He was a professor at York 
for a course. And from when he said it, I've been saying it for the last maybe six years. Create a space that is conducive to love, learning, laughter, and endless possibilities. Yeah, I know. He just summed it up beautifully. I've been, I, I, I literally stole it. <laughs> and it's been a part of like my whole art practice. It's been a part of how I do my community work and how I interact with people. Right? <laughs> I'm going to steal it from you. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to steal it too. Well, Kofi, you have given me so much joy. Uh, We've been chatting for over an hour. Your generosity of your time. I so appreciate you. The whole idea that this podcast for me is my legacy project. Mm. Um, I knew nothing about podcasting. 18 months of seriously trying to understand the process and stopped being afraid. Nice. And did the first episode, and now you're going to make my 12th or 13th episode. Wow. And I just keep rolling along. And mm-hmm. we have to stop woulda, shoulda, coulda. Mm-hmm. And you said it. We need to believe that we're, we're enough. Yeah. That's because I am. Mm. Kofi. Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness, I'm mucking up your name completely because I'm trying to say it the way you told me. Kofi. Kofi. Yeah, close enough. How <laughs> do people... practice. <laughs> exactly. How do people get in touch with you? I live on Instagram, so you can find me at Kofi's underscore art, uh, K-O-F-I-S underscore A-R-T, Facebook uh, under Kofi.com. It's the spelling K-O-F-I-D-O-T-C-O-M. You can email me at Kofi's, sorry, Kofi.com as well, at gmail.com. Yeah, on those platforms. You are Black Magnificence. Thank you. Black Excellence. Thank you so much for being a part of the Urban Lifestyle Report, my legacy project. My pleasure. And I'm looking forward to doing the next episode with more Blacknificence and Black Excellence. But this one is about coffee. <laughs> nice. Rempong. Yeah. And he has been an absolute delight for me this evening. Thank you so much. So I'm your host, Carolyn Morris Walker, and I'm looking forward to sharing the next episode with you bring you more Blacknificence, to bring you more Black excellence.